0: doctor and uh, he was very concerned through some uh, exams that he did and dilation and retina exams and things that uh, there was a hole in the macula and he was very concerned. He said don't put this off. I'm sending you to a specialist because you can lose your eyesight. And he said it can happen overnight. And he said there is surgery they can do to do this but the aftercare is uh, very tedious and everything and I thought uh-uh. I don't want that. And I happen to be here in Stillwater so in Aunt Rose's house is always kind of um, a flow of family and friends and everything, and uh, we just said no, and we decided we got into agreement with the Word of God that we're healed uh, and that, you know, that we're wonderfully made and that uh, there's provision for our bodies to heal itself, and uh, we just stood on that. Well, my eye doctor got me into the specialist like in two days, which was amazing to me, okay? And in those two days, my because I, I had lost vision in that eye. I had lost quite a bit of vision in that eye. And then I went to the doctor, like in two days, the specialist, and he did the very same exam and everything. And he said, well, he said, "Uh, you've gained vision already. You know, you've gained like, uh, I forget the points, the numbers and everything. And I said, well, praise God. And he said, no surgery was needed. So I said, praise God. You know, I was very happy about that. And since then, I have gone back. And it has continued to improve. And it's just glory to God. I mean, it's the power of agreement and on His word, and and then Friday night I was so stirred when He shared about His son and all. let him, because when He mentioned the color, I thought I've seen that. Oh, I forgot to tell you when they were doing the eye exam, when I mentioned those rings, when He was, He suggests the debris there. That was color pigmentation that I lost, and all the debris was floating around in that eye, you know. But I just I. I with, you know, God's, I uh, know that's going to be restored, too. So, but anyway, I was so stirred when he shared his testimony.
1: Yes. I'm Ed. I'm visiting for the summer here. Um, my son-in-law and daughter had uh, spent the last, uh, last half of the closure. Okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, it, uh, my son-in-law and daughter had uh, spent the last uh, part of last week at Kingdom Culture down in Redding, California. And uh, after the uh, Friday morning service, they, uh, they went to the prayer room just to pray and meditate and to soak up the good things of God and just maintain that closeness. And Trevor was laying on his back and he, uh, he was colorblind from, uh, from birth. And uh, and so all I could see was um, grays and and <clears throat> excuse me, grays and and uh, and browns that kind of thing. So he uh, went ahead and uh, and was laying there, and all of a sudden his mind flashed colors, and and he, and he, he couldn't he, he didn't know, you know exactly what was going on because he he didn't have any reference to colors, and and he. He thought, "Wow, that was cool, you know." And and so he laid there and he thought, "Do I open my eyes or do I wait for it to happen again?" You know, and nothing happened. You know, and and he, and he just laid there for about ten minutes. He said, "Waiting for the Lord to do that again because it was so unique in his mind that, that he could actually see colors." He opened his eyes and he looked, and uh, and the first thing he saw was was red. <laughs> he reached over to to Amy. And she goes, what? Is that red? Yeah, that's red. He goes, I can see colors. And and the Lord had had given him his sight back, his color sight back. He had never, yeah, he, he, had, he had not requested it. Nobody knew other than the immediate family that he was even colorblind. There was no praying for him. The Lord just blessed him with and, uh, and so he spent the whole day walking around, looking at flowers, you know, pointing out how green the trees were. You know, and, and he is in a whole new world.
2: You know, in Revelation somewhere, I don't know which chapter, I didn't look it up, but it says that the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Anybody know what verse I'm talking about? The testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. When we share, when people share of the goodness of what God has done, what Jesus has done, it gives glory to God, first of all. But I also believe it's a prophetic declaration of what he wants to do again. In other words, when someone gets healed in their eyes, it's not like, wow, look what God did for me. He never wants to do that again. I believe he's saying, look what I did with this child right here. I want to do it. Who wants it? Who needs it? And we had two testimonies from uh, brother and sister about one, they prayed, they stood in agreement, they prayed, and the Lord ministered. One, the brother was just resting in God's presence, and God healed him. So he does it different kinds of ways. And so I believe the Lord wants to minister to eye situations, eye challenges. And so if you've been praying for and believing God for eye situations, whether you're colorblind or you're blind in one eye or, or whatever, let's ask God. Let's believe God for miracles. Amen? You know, a lot of times we say, you know, I've never seen a miracle. Well, how many times have you asked? You know, it's just like people, I've heard people say, you know, I've never got to see anybody healed. I've never got to see anybody healed when I lay hands on them. Say, well, how many times have you laid hands on people to, to pray for them? None. Well, you're 100%. So what I'd like to do right now is if you have an eye situation condition that you want god to minister to i want you to raise your hand and i want the saints around you if you see someone with their hand raised i want you to lay hands on them and we're going to begin to pray and also remember this morning i mentioned uh sophie Marlowe, uh betty and scott's little girl well she's having an eye challenge it has something to do with scar tissue i believe if i'm remembering right scar tissue building up and that kind of thing um And that's what Betty had been asking prayer for, for that scar tissue to be removed. Well, let's just pray and stand in agreement that that scar tissue just gets taken care of. Amen? So those of you who have eye challenges that you want God to minister, I want you to stand up. Go ahead and stand up. That way your people can see you easier, easier. easier. They can see you. Okay, and you see the one standing up. I want everybody else. I want you to go to someone next to you and lay hands on them. And we're just going to come into agreement as a family Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And Lisa, I want you to stand in proxy for um, Sophie. So wave your hand, Lisa. Uh, Lisa over here is standing in in proxy for for, uh, little Sophie. So if you lay hands on Lisa, you'll be laying hands, in a sense, on, on little Sophie. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord God. All right, Saints, the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith, you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Jesus said, The things that I do, the miracles that I did, shall you do also, and greater works shall you do because I go to the Father and send back the Holy Spirit. Jesus laid hands on blind people and they received their sight. We have the same Holy Spirit that Jesus had. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, O God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for moving right now in powerful ways amongst your children right now. Thank you, O God. Thank you for recovery of sight. We curse blindness in Jesus' name. We curse deterioration in that eye, in those eyes, in the name of Jesus. And we speak, we speak sight, 2020 vision. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we curse any degenerative disease in the eyes in Jesus' name, glaucoma. We curse it in Jesus' name and says it has to go. Nearsightedness, farsightedness, stigmatism has to go in Jesus' name. And we speak to this scar tissue and we say it has to go in the name of Jesus right now. We command that scar tissue to dissolve and dissipate and leave Sophie's eyes in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Holy Spirit, bless your children. Bless them, Father. Bless them. Bless them. Bless them them in Jesus' name. Bless them with your presence, your healing power in the name of Jesus. We thank you for clear vision, clear restored vision, healed vision, In Jesus' name, thank you, O God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And those of you who were prayed for, when you notice a difference, we want to know about it, don't we? If you keep it to yourself, you're going to get a spanking. But when you notice that difference, please let us know about it. Amen? All right. The brothers who are going to move this table for me, I need you to come move the table for me. We're going to take communion together this morning. And I just want to share some things that the Lord put on my heart this week. As I've been considering this, I'm going to be reading first out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Testament, or excuse me, New Living Translation, NLT. Verse 17, it says, But in the following instructions I cannot praise you, for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. First, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church, and to some extent, I believe it. But of course, there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. When you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you are hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor. What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. For I pass on to you what I've received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourselves before eating the bread and drinking the cup. Verse 29, for if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So my brothers and so my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's supper, wait for each other. Notice he ends that that discourse with my dear brothers and sisters. Even though the Holy Spirit was dealing with a serious situation through Paul concerning that church there in Corinthians, you can still see the love of God being shared in those verses. It was a very very serious situation going on. Now, remember the church in Corinth was a church where all the power was going on. Remember, they had uh, prophetic ministry going on, a lot of faith, a lot of things were happening. So the Holy Spirit was active, the gifts of the Spirit were moving. But Paul had this that he wanted them to deal with. In the same letter in in chapter 3, Chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in the Christian life. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other, doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, another says, I'm a follower of Paulos, aren't you acting like people of the world? And so this church, he's, he's challenging them and talking to them about a situation that is happening in the church. And it's interesting because as I was reading, and I, you've heard me say this before, but as I was reading, I've, you know, we've taken communion before. I've read the communion passage before. But for the most part, I'll take the part where Paul says, he talks about the instruction that Jesus gave, you know, when he took the cup, he took the, took the bread. But as I was reading this in context, in the context, it's dealing with relationship in the church. He's dealing with the relationship of the people in the church. And where this was coming out happened to be when they would take when they would supposedly be taking communion together. And when we take communion, it's a reminder; it's to remind us of what Jesus did for us, that Jesus allowed His body to be broken, so that we can be whole. The Bible says, "By His stripes we were healed." He allowed Himself to be beaten and bruised and and just battered, so that we can be whole, spiritually, emotional. Emotionally and physically. And then the blood, his blood was shed so that we can be washed by that blood and be cleansed and be forgiven. And we understand that. But also in this, in this, since communion, that's the main verses that are used for communion are in this context, then we have to also look at this context. Not only is communion a time to remember what Jesus did for us, but I believe it's also to be a time where we reflect and we, we judge ourselves. We check and see where we are. Because you and I both know that if we can go on and, and just be about our life, <clears throat> and if we don't stop and, and check ourselves, we can find out that we've strayed away. You know what I mean? And so it's important to stop every once in a while and check and see where am I, where is my heart? I know the seriousness of this. Verse 29, for if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourselves. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. And it's interesting too because we know that when he's talking about the blood of Jesus And the bread, he's talking about the body, the physical body of Jesus, talking about his body was broken for us. But also, he's also talking about the body of Christ, which is the church. Because that's the context in which he's teaching this. So when you don't discern the Lord's body correctly, that's us. We are the body of Christ. That's what he's talking about. When you don't discern the Lord's body correctly. That is why you should examine yourselves before eating the bread and drinking the cup. Examine yourselves. For what? For jealousy? Vain ambition? Bitterness? Resentment? Unforgiveness? You know in Ephesians chapter 4, I believe, verse 26, around there somewhere i think i have it ephesians verse 20 ephesians chapter 4 25 through 27 therefore laying aside falsehood speak truth each one of you with his neighbor for we are members of one another again we are members of one another be angry and yet do not sin do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity how many of you have heard that verse before do not let the sun go down on your anger how many of you have heard that before And you know, probably 95% of the times when I've used that verse, when I taught those scriptures, it had to do with marriage. You know, husbands, wives, you need to make sure you get things worked out. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Get it worked out before you go to sleep. How many of you have heard that, using that context? But again, do you realize that the context here is not talking about marriage? It's talking about the body of Christ. Talking about believers. In other words... When you allow the anger, the sun to go down on your anger, you're angry with someone. You have odd against your brother or sister. And you allow the sun to go down on that. In other words, you let time come between that situation and you, and you don't take care of it. You are giving the devil an opportunity. You are giving him literally geographic location. He's able to set up camp in your camp and cause problems. It says, do not give the devil a place or an opportunity. That means you're allowing him access to cause problems in your life. That's what it says. Do not allow. Do not allow the sun to go down your anger and therefore it a place for the enemy. So when I do allow that my anger to continue, my resentment to continue, then I'm inviting challenge. I'm inviting problems. If I don't examine myself and I take the bread and the cup in an unworthy manner, I'm inviting judgment in my life. Remember Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, I believe it's around 23, he said, if you're going to present your gift to the altar, you have a gift that you're going to give to God and there you remember that your brother has something against you, what does he say to do? He says to leave it there, he says, wait, leave it there, Go, get things reconciled with the brother, and then come and present that gift to God. So Jesus is saying, before you come to God, get things right with his body, and then come. So Jesus is putting a premium, a priority, on relationship in the body of Christ. You know, I had this thought, go through my mind last night. If the churches, the Christian churches all over the world, or particularly here in America, let's camp on America. That's where we be at right now. If the churches in America would take communion correctly, would there ever be a church split? I was thinking about that last night. Because a church split is when the the heated fighting or whatever gets to a place when you have enough people ready to leave. They're tired of that situation, and they're ready to leave. And there's a whole group that leaves and starts another ministry, another church elsewhere. And the Bible talks about, Paul is talking to them about jealousy, factions, divisions, fighting, And that kind of thing. And typically, you know, you hear about church splits over the color of carpet. Church splits over the the hymns, whether to sing hymns or not. Or what kind of hymns. Or, you know, these petty little things. And I would submit to you that it has nothing to do with the carpet. Has nothing to do with the songs. Has to do with issues in the heart. Issues in the heart. And so we have to check and make sure that those issues are not in our hearts. In my heart. I have to check my heart. And it's so important. Why am I talking about this? It's like, wait a minute. You know, we're experiencing such a wonderful presence of God and you're talking about this? Yes, this is intentional. Very intentional. Because just like we're singing this morning, I want more. Who wants more? I mean, who wants his presence to be thicker and thicker, his glory to be greater and greater and greater? Don't we want that? Well, then we have to take care of what would cause it to stop. And what would cause the problems in this whole thing to be undermined. I mean, we've all heard of revivals and wonderful moves of God, and all of a sudden, they dissipate. And in the wake of that, you see the church of just people all bitter and angry and, and just all kinds of stuff that God didn't do. It's not like his presence blew through that place and he left people laying there half dead. People did not allow, they didn't examine their hearts. People begin to get prideful. They begin to get jealous. Maybe they saw someone else being, someone being used by God in a wonderful way. The grace of God was on that person in powerful ways. And they're like, well, who's that person? I know what they did last night or last week. I know how they treat their husband or whatever the thing is. And we can bring judgment against that, against that person thinking we're better than them, that God ought to be using us. Instead, instead of saying, God, I just stand in agreement with you using my brother or my sister. Lord, I say more, bring it more through them. I want some too, but Lord, you're using them powerfully. I want more through them. If we would begin to pray for and stand up for and support one another, instead of allowing that jealousy to come into my heart. And see, when you have more than one person, you're going to have problems. If you're a church by yourself, you're going to have a perfect church. And the reason why you're going to have a perfect church is because you can change the bylaws anytime you want to. But anytime you have a church of two or more, which is the church where two or more are gathered in His name? There He is in the midst. But when you have two or more personalities, you're going to have problems. You're going to have challenges. Why is that? Not even not even talking about sin. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about differences of differences of opinion, differences of personality, differences of giftings. You can have two people with two different gifts and have conflict when there's no sin involved. You can have a prophetic person who sees black and white and you can have a mercy person who sees all kinds of wonderful color. And this person sees the situation this way and it's right. And this person sees the situation this way and it's right. But they they can think it's their way instead of their way. You see what I mean? So it's easy for... For conflicts will come up, even when there's no sin. But we know that there's going to be sin, right? And so we have to be on guard for these things. We have to guard our hearts. I'm going to give you, you know, and, and Paul talked about them allowing their flesh to dominate them, being carnal Christians. A carnal Christian is someone who is led by their flesh. They're led by what feels good, their emotions, And that's what they were acting like in the book of Corinthians. They were carnal Christians. They weren't looking after the spirit, but after the flesh. And if we're walking around in the flesh, then we're going to have big time problems. Because I can promise you this, I will give you many opportunities to be frustrated with me. And I'm not even saying doing anything wrong on purpose. I'm just talking about the way I am. You may get frustrated with the way I preach. You may get frustrated with the way I do things, the way I lead, or the way I omit this, or, or whatever. So there will be plenty of opportunity for you to be upset or frustrated with me. And if you're walking around in the flesh instead of you praying for me, and so, you know, the Bible says love covers a multitude But see, what can happen is you can look at me, my faults. I mean, I don't have any, but I'm just using me as an example. So let's pretend. I just expose the fault, right? I repent of lying. But if you look at my faults, and maybe there is, maybe there's a blind spot or two, and you, and you notice that. A blind spot means I don't see it. You ever get that? <laughs> it was, if I could see it, it wouldn't be a blind spot. But I have blind spots and I don't see it, but you see it, and it looks glaring to you. And if you walk in love, then what are you gonna do? One, you're gonna pray for me. And two, you're gonna come talk to me about it. So, you know, CJ, you not, can I share something with you? And it depends on if I'm in the flesh or not, right? And if you perceive me to be a fleshly man, then keep praying for me. But you can come and talk to me and say, hey, bro, can we talk about something? Sure. And you share something with me. It won't be fun, but it'll be the right thing. It's like, you know what? After I get over myself, I appreciate you sharing that with me. And then hopefully I will deal with that and it no longer becomes a blind spot. And then I become stronger because my brother or sister came and shared with me. They provoked me to love and good works. But if you choose to walk in the flesh, then here's what's going to happen. You're going to see my faults, my blind spots and that kind of thing. Are you going to come talk to me about it? Nope. But who are you going to talk to about it? Everybody else. Everybody else. Everybody else. And then what can tend to happen, of course, everybody else is an exaggeration, but you may talk to a few people. And then what can happen is the few people that you talk to when they say, you know what, I didn't notice that, but you're right about him. And then when you come to church and I'm up here preaching, guess what all you see is? That big old thing, that big old blind spot. You're not hearing or receiving the ministry of what the Holy Spirit's trying to say through me. All you can see is my fault. So then what can happen is, you know what? I can preach better than him. I'm called too. Why do I have to sit here and listen to this person? Hey, guys, let's go. Split. But you see how easy it is. We look at each other. We see our faults. We see each other's faults, I mean. And we begin to talk about each other's faults instead of in love going to that person and saying, hey, And your motivation for going to them is not to show them they're wrong, but to see them restored so that they can move forward. That's why we need to check our hearts and make sure that we do not have any unforgiveness or bitterness in our hearts. And, of course, everyone says, oh, I'm not bitter. I don't have any unforgiveness. Then why can't you look that person in the face? Why do you walk around the other aisle of Walmart every time you see them across the street? I'm not saying that we all have to be best friends and hold hands together every day. I'm not talking about that. As we talk about forming relationships in a church, close, intimate relationships with brothers and brothers, sisters and sisters and that kind of thing, everybody's not going to be intimately close with everybody. Okay, let's just get that straight. Everybody's not. And everybody's not going to be transparent with everybody. That's stupid. But if I have a, a... If I have a a few guys that I'm close to and open myself up to and I'm accountable to, I'm still to walk in love with everybody else. I'm still to look after this brother's best interests, even if I don't have a close relationship with him. Amen? You hear what I'm saying? And so the whole thing, and I know we're all saying the same thing. God, we want more. And you know how we get more of God? We give him more of us. He's already made Himself fully available. But to the extent that we surrender and we repent of the sin and the the junk that we're holding back in the dark places, to the extent that we surrender and give to Him, then He can fill that area. And His presence can be here stronger and stronger and stronger. And that's what we want. Amen? I mean, am I just saying this or you guys agree? We have to protect this house. Those of you who watch football or whatever, we must protect our house, right? We have to protect this house. And how do we do that? We walk in the spirit. We walk in love with one another. If I perceive a problem with somebody, I in love go and and share with them. If I have a problem with somebody, if I've offended somebody, I do what I can to get that right. That's how I'm going to protect this house. It's not just about singing wonderful songs and feeling good, although that feels good and I'm all about that. But see, getting in His presence, one thing, one of the fruit is our hearts becoming soft and so we can respond to the Word of God in obedience. That's a fruit of His presence. If we're just coming in here feeling good and singing wonderful songs and say, oh, wasn't His presence good, and I'm still living my old, selfish, sinful way, then I'm missing something. And I know we're not about that. All right. So, I'm going to ask the the people who are going to come and help um, share the communion. If could someone check and see is George in here? Someone may um go get George out of the hallway. He knows who's supposed to do what. So, here's some things as we're as you begin to take communion. here's some things I want to encourage you to do. We need to always examine our hearts. You know, when you go into worship at home by yourself or or corporately we come together for worship, invite the Holy Spirit to examine your heart. Because, see, I can look at my own heart and say, hey, it looks pretty good. But the Bible says that our hearts can deceive us. Our own hearts can deceive us and make us think everything's good. But if we say, Holy Spirit... You shine your light in my heart. Let me know what's going on. And he'll bring up people that I hadn't thought about in a while or I have purpose to forget about He says, what about this person? Oh, yeah, you know about that, huh? And then I allow him to deal with my heart, soften my heart. I repent and get things right. Keep extremely short accounts with one another. If you get at odds with somebody, keep accounts short. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Make a point to get it right as soon as possible. Get things right with each other. Keep things right with each other. And remember, you know when Jesus said, taking communion, actually I'm going to read that part again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In the same way he took the cup of wine after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. Do you think that if you have a covenant agreement with God, He has a covenant agreement with you, do you believe that He also requires a covenant agreement with each other? Do you think that's part of it? Or do you think we can have a covenant with God and He can have a covenant with me? I don't have to have a covenant with you. I don't think that's part of the equation. And that's implied here, I believe, that we have to realize If I'm in covenant with Jesus Christ, then I am in covenant with my brothers and sisters. The body of Christ. How can I be in covenant with Jesus' head and not his body? It's the whole thing, right? So as we take communion, we are being reminded of the wonderful goodness of God through the cross of Calvary. And we're being reminded of the covenant that I have with you with each other. So as we're waiting for the elements to be passed, just allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart and be intent on getting things right. If you realize if you bring someone to your remembrance and you're like, "Whoops, I I didn't get that worked out." I believe if you intend in your heart, "Lord, I will the soonest opportunity I have, I will get it right with that person." then I believe you can take communion with a clear conscience, knowing that you're going to get it right. Now, he knows whether you follow through with that or not. And obviously, we're not talking about playing games. But guys, we want the power of God. We want his presence like we've dreamed about, like we sing about. And he wants us to have it. He wants us to have it more than we want it, believe it or not. So Father, we just come to you right now. We thank you. We thank you for the precious blood of Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that you willingly gave your life for us. That you chose to go to that cross in our behalf so that we can be reconciled, we can be restored, we can be forgiven, we can be adopted into God's family. And Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come and search our hearts because we want to be right with you. And we want to be right with one another. And so we invite you to do that right now. In Jesus' name, amen. If there's any music you guys have, would and just go ahead and just pray right now and just let the Holy Spirit minister to you as uh, we receive the uh, elements. Is that everybody? Everybody? Okay. It says, On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, we do take this bread and we do thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you for the freedom that you paid for us. And we can truly walk in freedom because of you. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. Lord, we do thank you for the blood, the precious blood of Jesus that was shed, the covenant that you put into force with us. And, Father, we're also reminded of the covenant that we have with one another. And we say thank you, O God, that you promised to take care of all of our needs, to take care of us. We thank you, O God, for your grace that we're able to walk together as a family.